Welcome to the Forest and the Trees, global and local perspectives on the environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. So today we're going to be talking about local and national perspectives on a specific thing, which is uh, what a lot of people call green amendments to state constitutions, which would protect residents' rights to clean air, clean water, a healthy environment, and a safe climate. Um, and actually something that's been in the news just this week and last week is a trial, the first trial of this effort uh, in, that went uh, to trial in Montana. And as we speak, we don't know the results, but they, they trial wrapped up. I think it was maybe even yesterday, uh, maybe Monday of this week or maybe late last week. So my guests are Kim Stoner, who is a, a Connecticut activist and someone who brought the idea of working on a state amendment uh, to the Connecticut Constitution to um, several groups here in Connecticut, the Connecticut Climate Crisis Mobilization, which she and I are both involved in, and other groups, uh, the um, NOFA, the Northeast Organic Farming Association, the Connecticut chapter, and other groups. And the other guest is Maya Van Rossum, who wrote the book, literally, on Green Amendments. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you. Good to have you here. So I, I think, why don't we start with Maya, since you know, you've been working on this for a long time and you can sort of give us the national picture. Sure. So, um, so I actually founded the Green Amendments movement back starting in 2014. And that was really the year after me and my role as the Delaware Riverkeeper, uh, a hat I still wear, um, successfully used Pennsylvania's Green Amendment to defeat a very pro-fracking law that would have made fracking already happening in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania exponentially worse. Uh, in the wake of this victory of defeating a piece of legislation passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, I reflected on how important this victory was and how was it possible that we were able to defeat a law um, of this magnitude with so much political support. And of course, the way we defeated it was that we had this constitutional entitlement to pure water, clean air, and a healthy environment in Pennsylvania. So I looked at Pennsylvania's constitutional amendment. Uh, identified what made it so powerful, looked at every state constitution across the nation, and recognized that at that time there was only one other state, Montana, that had an amendment of this kind, and I vowed to change that and get this kind of constitutional, what I now call Green Amendment, in every state constitution across our nation and ultimately at the federal level. Where things stand now is we actually got a Green Amendment added to the New York Constitution. It actually went into the Constitution January 1 of 2022 and is already having powerful benefits. We have Green Amendment um, efforts advancing in 15 states with Connecticut being very much at the forefront of the movement through the leadership of Kim and the other organizations that you've mentioned, Melinda. Um, but also what we are seeing is, you know, as you mentioned, there's recently this held v. Montana case that is using Montana's Green Amendment in the climate context. But I really want to let people know that Pennsylvania and Montana's Green Amendments have been in use for a couple of decades now and really are have already 
been delivering powerful results in a number of different places and spaces to secure clean water, clean air, address toxic contamination, PFAS drinking water contamination, and so much more. New York, it's had its green amendment for a year and a half, and we're already seeing powerful benefits there. So the Held v. Montana case, which is really inspiring people to take a look at this pathway, is powerful and, and important and using the amendment in a climate context. But I do just want to let folks know that there have been many, many victories that are powerful and important using this kind of constitutional green amendment entitlement. Wow. Well, thanks for that uh, overview. Um, and I know that in Pennsylvania, fracking has such, you know, been such a devastating, had such a devastating impact on, you know, the air, the water, people's public health, people's health, that anything we can do to rein it in is certainly a positive thing and well worth doing. So, um, Kim, let me bring you in here. Um, yeah, just talk about your uh, journey uh, to deciding to promote this as a as an issue that could really uh, engage a lot of people in Connecticut. And, and I guess this would also be a good time just to sort of summarize what's happened so far. Okay, thank you. So um, I first heard about Green Amendments actually through a Quaker group. Um, I, I am involved in what's now called the Earth Quaker Justice Team, which is uh, Quakers across New England who um, are working on environmental issues. And I met Margaret Marshall, who has been working on the Pine Tree Amendment. That's what the Green Amendment movement in uh, Maine has decided to call it. And so that's how I first heard about these uh, Green Amendments. And I went to the Green Amendment Day via Zoom last summer. And um, got a lot of good information from Maya and her team and read her book. Um, and what I have realized about Connecticut is that we um, talk very well about environment in this state, but our actions don't always follow our words. So uh, in where I live in New Haven, there are lots of toxic legacies. There are lots of places where there was industrial uh, facilities that have left behind lots of toxic uh, debris um, or buildings or land. And uh, we have not been cleaning it up. And sometimes these things have been left for decades. So just recently, um, I have been working as actually, I know you have Melinda on the Six Lakes uh, where Olin uh, Corporation had uh, been testing gunpowder and burying batteries and, and abandoned the place long ago and was has been under a consent order to clean it up and has not cleaned it up. I think the consent order was from 1987, has not cleaned it up. Um, there's English Station, which was a coal-fired power plant that I think stopped operating around the time I arrived in Connecticut, so in the 1980s, that's still sitting there 
on Long Island Sound um, and, you know, deteriorating and for a long time was leaching lots of toxins into Long Island Sound. I'm not sure if it still is. There's just a lot of these sites all over Connecticut that have not been cleaned up and that the people responsible have been allowed to just delay and delay and not do anything about them. So that was really a big part of what got me motivated and interested. And you know, there were other things. There's also just recently this whole uh, story about the North End in Hartford where people, um, that's not an industrial thing exactly, but where uh, people have had their houses flooded by sewage for decades. And the Metropolitan District Committed Commission has not been required to get their act together and figure out how to do better drainage. So there are, you know, there are a lot of these things that we present ourselves in Connecticut as being very environmentally aware, but we leave these things to continue to deteriorate. Um, another is that, that we have made uh, commitments in the Globe Global Warming Solutions Act that we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And we're nowhere near actually um, achieving those goals that we said that our legislature and our governor, you know, in law said they were going to achieve. So um, that's a big part of why I got interested in uh, what we call in Connecticut, the Connecticut Environmental Rights Amendment, but it is a green amendment as um, in the in the frame that uh, Maya has made for green amendments. Okay, great. Thanks. So I have a couple of questions and I, I'm trying to figure out the best order to do them in because they intertwine, but it, why don't I know that you worked, you got a committee together and you all worked really hard uh, starting in January or maybe before, but the, the, ses the legislative session started in early January this year, went until early June. Um, it, you know, why don't you talk about what you did and where you where you focused your work and maybe uh, you know some lessons you might have learned and after you do that then Maya can maybe uh, jump in with lessons she's learned from some of these these other uh, states that you've been following I know okay yeah so thanks um, yeah so we uh, assembled a group of people. Um, largely from the uh, Connecticut climate crisis mobilization and other uh, environmental uh, groups and individuals that I knew. I went to the, the Connecticut League of Conservation Voters and uh, was able to speak directly to Representative Gresco, who's the co-chair of the Environment Committee, and got a commitment from him to have a public hearing. So we scrambled around. We got um, lots of environmental um, and church and racial justice organizations to sign on. And we had a public hearing in February in the Environment Committee. We had lots of good testimony in the public hearing. Then it did not go any further. The co-chairs did not bring it to a vote in the Environment Committee. So it didn't go any further in this legislative session. So it was um, Representative Mary Mashinsky who was who introduced the um, the Connecticut Environmental Rights Amendment 
but in the next session, it has to be a committee. So we're gonna we're talking about how best to do that. Ultimately, it would have to go through the government administrations and elections committee because it would be an amendment to the constitution as well as the environment committee. So we're working on what our strategy is for next year and we're doing a lot of outreach. We plan to go to lots of the agricultural fairs and we're planning on trying to have some events in districts of key legislators so that we'll be all ready to go next session. That was Kim uh, Stoner you were just hearing who is a uh, person who's taken the lead on fighting for uh, what we're calling the Connecticut Environmental Rights Amendment, a green amendment. Um, and uh, my other guest is Maya Van Rossum, who founded the Green Amendment Movement and wrote a book about it. So um, Maya, like in New York, which did pass it, is there anything you can share from what you know about how they got it passed? Yes, because I was very joyfully, joyfully a part of the leadership team that got the New York Green Amendment, um, you know, and, and I am really honored to be part of the Green Amendment effort in every state where it's advancing. My role is a little bit different depending on, on the state and the unique characteristics of that state and our strategic team, but in every one, I really have this incredible opportunity to work directly with the grassroots organizations and the, what I call legislative champions who are taking the leadership role at the legislative level to support what's happening um, at the grassroots level. And the interesting thing, you know, in all 15 states where we have green amendments advancing right now, um, the effort is different. It's very distinct and unique depending on the, the unique characteristics and qualities of that state, right? What are their priorities when it comes to environmental protection? What strategies work best in those states? What's the personality of the legislative champion that we're working with? And you know, how can we best um, work in collaboration with them? So New York, you know, it 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 had its own pathway, but that was New York's pathway. Um, and in Connecticut, you know, working with Kim and the team that she's pulled together, we work collaboratively to identify what's the best language, what's the best strategy that's going to make the most sense for the state of Connecticut and its legislative session, because that's another thing that's different, right? In, in Connecticut, we have legislative sessions that sort of have more are, are of more limited time in one year or another. Well, in the state of New Jersey, where we have a green amendment effort, the legislature goes almost full year round. And in New Mexico, the legislature also, it has a 30 year session or a 30 day session and a 60 day session, which is similar to Connecticut, but their legislators are 100% volunteer. They don't make any money and they have no staff um, except during that limited window that supports them. So I think the most important thing that I really have learned with the Green Amendment movement is that we really let the leaders in each state take the lead in being the messengers for the Green Amendment in that state, as well as helping to or taking the lead in identifying what are the right strategic steps for that state. Um, one thing I do wanna, wanna highlight is you know that this is a really simple concept, right? That we all should have a right, a right to clean water and clean air, a stable climate and healthy environments, right? Everybody can get behind that message, embrace it, and really become an effective, um, an effective advocate for that level of protection. 
but to make turn that into reality, into constitutional reality, to do it in a way where it is truly enforceable in the courts and at the legislative level, that becomes a little bit tricky. To take on the naysayers who are going to mischaracterize and misrepresent what the Green Amendment will actually do once it's passed, that's a little bit more complex to take on. And so that really is the role that, that I help. I help work with our grassroots organizations to take this simple concept, but make sure that we address all the complexities essential to making it actually work. Because the truth is, almost every state across our nation has a constitutional amendment that talks about the environment. Many talk about environmental rights. Many of them are called environmental rights amendments, but they haven't made a difference because what they tend to do is talk about the environment, environmental protection or environmental rights as being something very important for the state, but then they um, relegate it to being just state policy. Policy is advice. It's not truly enforceable. Or they talk about the importance of protecting the environment and environmental rights, and then they give all the power to the legislators to define what that actually means. And so if legislators define water so contaminated with toxins that it gives kids cancer, well, guess what? The constitutional environmental rights language has been fulfilled, but the people are no better off. So that's where this Green Amendment distinction and language becomes so important. I truly don't care what, what the amendment is called in the body of the Constitution, but I really care about how we characterize these kinds of constitutional entitlements when we're talking about them in um, as part of our work. Because an environmental rights amendment, for the most part, is pretty language. A Green Amendment is constitutional language that lifts up environmental rights and gives them the highest constitutional legal and legal standing and protection that you can get here in the United States of America. So that's what's distinct and what's different about a Green Amendment versus what we have in most states across the nation and why pursuing this pathway is so vitally, vitally important. And after we get Green Amendments, um, well, on our journey to getting green amendments in all states, we're going to re reach a tipping point somewhere along that journey, and we're going to know that the time is now right. The foundation has been laid to also add to our palette of work pursuing a federal green amendment. But we're starting at the states where there's a lot of power when it comes to environmental protection, and we can get constitutional green amendments in the near term. And then like we're seeing in Pennsylvania, New York, and Montana, taking that powerful language and using it to truly enhance environmental protection, environmental rights, environmental justice, climate justice, and generational justice on the ground real time. So one thing that I, well, first of all, I know that um, Kim, you've mentioned that maybe other states mention environmental protection or environmental rights, and there's but there's nothing at all in the Connecticut Constitution about that. Um, but I guess a concern that I'd like to understand better, and, and maybe I've seen this, you know, working a little bit here in the work that's been done so far, but it takes so much time, so many years to get an environmental rights amendment through, at least in our state, which is known as the state of land of steady habits. 
it took like more than 15 years to get our latest uh, constitutional amendment through, which was which was to allow early voting. And by the time it finally passed, Connecticut was one of only four states that didn't allow early voting. And the fact that that, which seemed like a total no-brainer and something that directly affects like all, all voters in this state, the fact that it took so long made me wonder how long it might take to get you know, an environmental rights amendment through. And in the meantime, when you're totally focused on that and on the on the wording, on the language, on lobbying the legislators to, to pass that, um, does, does that mean that other maybe more immediate and more urgent environmental and climate struggles um, don't get the attention that they need? I, I see how when it's passed, it can be used absolutely to support those those fights, but what about in the meantime? It's just I think there's a there's a timing question in my mind anyway. So I don't know if one either. I'm sure Maya has something to say about this. No, if I can offer something, and then maybe Kim, you can follow up with the Connecticut um, experience. Right. Um, so you know, one of the things in terms of the Green Amendment movement that I'm very careful about is that this really is not about diverting time, attention, and resources from critical near-term needs, right? We still need um, good environmental legislation and regulation and permitting and decision-making and funding. All of those things need to happen, as you said, because people are facing crises right now. Um, and so those are really important pathways and bodies work to address that near-term um, protection that's so essential, environmental justice issues and more. But the Green Amendment, because it provides value-added protection to all movements, toxins, water, air, you know, all of it, climate, um, one, it becomes a great place to bring together the wealth of different environmental movements that are advancing in a state to bring them together in common cause. This becomes a space where all these different organizations um, and activists can work together on a single mission and add it to their palette of work, not divert all the attention and resources. That would be a bad idea. And I wholeheartedly um, discourage that kind of approach. But the other thing is, as we're advancing Green Amendment advocacy and activism, talking about this idea of environmental rights, talking about how the laws actually do work, that they don't focus on preventing pollution, degradation, or harm, that they actually focus on legalizing it, on providing a pathway to advance environmental racism. And so actually the, the language we use um, and the advocacy that surrounds a green amendment becomes very complementary to and very supportive of all of the other important work that's already happening. So again, this is not intended to be, nor should it be pursued as a distraction or a diversion from that other important work. This needs to be pursued in a way that is value added, but also recognizing that whenever we can bring all the different advocates together in common cause, whenever we can get on the same page about how we talk about environmental rights and environmental justice and climate justice, um, it can and should be done in a way that lifts up all of the other battles 
that we are fighting. But it's like anything. I mean, truthfully, as you said, when we pass the Green Amendment in a state, we get the most powerful legal tool that exists in the United States of America. Our constitutional bill of rights gets brought to bear for environmental protection. We need that. If all we keep doing is passing more laws and regulations that legalize environmental pollution, degradation, and harm, we're just going to right be standing in the same place, maybe do, accomplishing important good, but other bad stuff's going to be happening, and we're not going to have a way to challenge it, like that pro-fracking law that I talked about. Right. So we actually need to we need to do both. So we're moving the ball um, net effect. We're moving the ball uphill um, over time. Um, and that's a really powerful and important um, value added contribution to our work. And I had another point, but I'm going to I've forgotten it. So Kim can go. And if I think of it, I'll bring it back in afterwards. OK, and we've got just a couple minutes left. So, Kim, um, tell us anything you want to share about the work you know that you haven't already about the work in Connecticut and, and maybe specifically related to this specific point. Sure. So um, uh, I uh, am the director of advocacy for Connecticut NOFA, um, the Northeast Organic Farming Association. And we joined the Connecticut Climate Action Coalition, which is a, an, a group of environmental organizations that's working on climate issues and that also worked very hard on the uh, environmental justice law that passed in the last session. And so I got, I'm pretty new at advocacy. I got a good look at what it takes, what it took to pass that environmental justice law that Alex Rodriguez of Save the Sound worked on for a couple of years, had a whole group of like 109 uh, people on his email list as meeting every two weeks to get this law passed. And, you know, it's an important step forward. Um, but Alex will tell you that there were some compromises that had to be made in order to get it passed. And there are some holes in that legislation and that it doesn't do everything that he would wish it could do. And so people will continue to work on it. So I guess the point that I'm making is, you know, uh, many of these things take a lot of work, take a lot of time from a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and then they sometimes still leave gaps as, as Maya was saying. Um, so, uh, it's important to have, to, you know, to continue to work on on something that's that's going to fill in the gaps. There, there's a saying in the environmental justice movement that um, oftentimes we settle for environmental equity, which means poisoning people equally, instead of going for environmental justice, which means stop poisoning people. Period. And I think that's one one thing that the uh, Connecticut Environmental Rights Amendment is intended to do. Great. Perfect timing. I'm sorry if you remembered, Maya, we don't have time, <laughs> whatever your other point was. But I want to thank, uh, that was Ken Stoner, who is uh, heading up the effort to get a Connecticut Environmental Rights Amendment in our Constitution, and Maya Van Rossum, who is uh, head of the effort nationally to get 
state by state to get uh, similar amendments and eventually a federal amendment. You've been, thanks so much for joining me. The, the half hour always goes so fast. <laughs> well, Melinda, can I just offer one thing for people who want to get involved in Connecticut or any state across the nation? If you go to www.forthegenerations, F-O-R, for the generations with an S on the end, .org, you will find a pathway to the Connecticut Green Amendment effort. Um, and you also find a pathway to uh, to get involved in the other 15 states nationwide where green amendments are advancing. Or maybe you can become like Kim and you can be the leader in your state and be the first person to call me and we can team up and make it happen in your state. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, local and global perspectives on the environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9.30 a.m. here on WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use.